Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join the conversation in the chat. We appreciate you hanging out. Got a lot to get to today. Uh, some news. We are going to have general reactions to the new AP Top 25 poll with really a focus on what's happening up in the top five. We'll be looking at Clemson's quarterback situation as this is the first time we've all gathered together since the Tigers were winners against Georgia Tech on Monday night. And we will be running back uh, another uh, – We will. I don't know if we'll do this every week, but we're definitely going to run it back now with all these non-conference games to choose from. What has our attention? We will be going with a week two game draft and the return of the craze that is sweeping the nation, the game show started by Tom Fernelli, where he been. But – we begin with some very significant news at the quarterback position in the ACC and the top 25 as Wake Forest announced on Tuesday that Sam Hartman has been medically cleared to return. Now, from the jump, we talked about this here on the show and elsewhere, you know, non-football medical issue. That sounds really serious. What does that mean? How long is he going to be out? We had even, you know, just sort of recklessly speculated that as long as we could get Sam Hartman back by mid-October, then the Demon Deacons might be able to come close to accomplishing uh, almost everything that we would have predicted otherwise. Well, Sam Hartman will be back for the first FBS game for a non-conference Power 5 matchup as Wake goes to Nashville to play Vandy. And also, we got more details about the condition, which included uh, a blood clot, which sounds terrifying. Um, and it was great because guess what? Uh, the surgeon just happened to be the Dean of the Wake Forest Medical School. QB one life is very good when you're living in a huge <laughs> medical hub like Winston-Salem. So I think that the number one thing that we all agree on is it's great to know that Sam has been, he's off blood thinners. He's, you know, got good blood flow all through the vein that had been blocked and he's been cleared to return. And on the football side, you know, what do we make of this and how much of an upgrade is this for Wake Forest and the offense moving forward? You know, I, I was actually pretty high on, on the Wake Forest backup, uh, but Sam Hartman, yeah, like I, I thought he was pretty good. Uh, and I, I know Wake Forest liked him a lot, but Sam Hartman is just, he's like a grown man playing college football. Not, not in terms of like, hey, I'm, I'm hugely jacked and I'm going to sun everybody, but just like he, he knows where to go with the ball, right? He, he's run that offense for, what, four or five years now. He's very difficult to stop. He doesn't make a lot of dumb mistakes. Wake Forest it's just that much more dangerous when Sam Hartman is the quarterback. And I, I expect them to resume 
you know, dropping 40 plus on most of the teams they play uh, who are not named Clemson. Yeah, I, I think too, like you look around the ACC this weekend and like there were some pretty lackluster performances from some teams we were expecting a lot of. And I think that Wake is a team that has been, you know, successful in the last few years. And there's a good chance now, like it, with it, w- when we didn't know how long Hartman was going to be out, there were, like you were saying, Chip, there were question marks about what's this Wake Forest team going to be without him? When can he come back? What kind of damage can they do in the ACC? So to get him back this quickly ahead of the Vanderbilt game this weekend and before they get into ACC play, I think is great news for the Demon Deacons as far as the long-term projection for them in 2022 is competing for, you know, one of the top spots, maybe getting to the, you know, ACC you know, fighting for a spot in the ACC championship this year because that was my one takeaway from watching the conference this week. It's like Clemson pulled away from Georgia Tech in the end there, but I didn't feel like there was a dominant team in the conference all weekend. Uh, do you know how many coaches in the country would love to sit their starter who's established, who's multi-year, you know, top of the conference starter and let, if you, especially if you have zero depth, you have no idea what you have behind you, and let the backup think like, hey, this is your game. You have to win this for us. All That's of fall what camp. This was yeah. August 9th. So from August 9th until this past Tuesday or last Friday, really, then Mitch Griffiths was going into this like, okay, I've got to be able to hold this thing down as a redshirt freshman. Great point. And he, and he played great. So now they've kind of got the best of both worlds. I mean, never want to hope your starter goes down. But Sam Hartman's back way sooner than we thought. And now you're like, okay, we have some depth. We know what we have behind him. So you're not, you know, as concerned about that position. So I think Wake Forest is in a great spot here, you know, getting him back early, most of all. And it's great news. I mean, it's fantastic news that he's back this early. The um to Bud's point, he was a starter as a true freshman in 2018. And for an offense that is built so much on reading defenses and understanding where the looks are and where you need to go, I think experience is a huge factor. But Mitch Griffiths, you know, is a is going to be the future. The plan has always been for him to be the next one up after Hartman. And like you mentioned, Danny, he got to go through all of fall camp believing that he was going to have to be the starting quarterback. That's a good position there. I since since we are in the ACC, um, let's just go ahead and, and hit Clemson here because. DJ Uyunglele got off to a slow start. There were some drops, but there was also a lot of the echoes of 2021. Um, it was not a fantastic performance, but one that at least showed some improvement from the form that had him being dead last in the ACC and passer rating last year. Cade Klubnik comes in, and this is what stood out to me. Dabo starts running tempo with Cade Klubnik. Dabo starts calling timeouts to make sure that they can get everything lined up. That did not look like a go kneel on this and, and and burn out the clock kind of signal from Dabo Sweeney and the offensive staff. So what what happens with quarter with Clemson's quarterback position right now? Because it is impossible to not be drawing comparisons to the Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence situation from just four years ago, based on who we have coming in and the performance that we have seen so far from the established incumbent starter. I, I don't want to read too much into it based on the results because, you know, it was the end of the game. It was a blowout, some reserves back in there. But like you were saying, the, the biggest thing to me was they were running a different offense with Club Nick than they run with DJ. Why is that? You know, mm. I, I looked at this and I I think Tom's right on a little bit of that, but I'm also not totally convinced of it. I, I think they ran sort of a series that Club Nick was comfortable with, but that was also so late in the game and – 
maybe those Georgia Tech kids don't know that Dabo wants to run it up on Jeff Collins, so they were thinking run. You know, like they're they're biting pretty hard on on, on some of that RPO and play action stuff that Klubnik was doing. He, he did look comfortable. I I don't know how good he would look in the entire game. Like I'm not ready to think this is a Trevor Kelly Bryant situation. I may be wrong in this. I just think Clemson's offense doesn't look all that well coached. Mm. You know, like, honestly, guys. I mean, I thought the defensive internal promotion made a ton of sense, but. Imagine, hey, like, okay, uh, we've got an opening here at offensive coordinator. Hey, uh, I coached DJ last year. All right, you're hired. Like, what? I mean, that you're, you're Clemson. You, I, I thought they could have used some fresh blood there. I, I know Dabo likes to reward the loyalty, but I thought their offensive line looked poor. Their receivers weren't really getting wide open. I did they look well coached to you? I, I, maybe when Clubnick came in, they, they did look the better. Same I agree as last year, Sharper. yeah, they very much looked the same as last year, and that's the thing too. But that's what I'm wondering because, like. There was the RPO stuff, and yeah, maybe Tech was kind of crashing on the run and giving you know the option to go out. But like they were rolling Klubnik out. Why aren't you doing that with DJ? Like your offensive line is not good, and you've got and DJ standing in the pocket and having to barrel into his guard who's being pushed two yards into the backfield. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Why do I like? Why do we want to make Clemson's offensive line good? Is it because Jordan McFadden like is gonna get drafted to the NFL because the heights and weights seem like they check out because? That group was getting pushed around, and they were not able to open up holes for good running backs for that to be more effective. I there, There's a lot of places where Clemson's offense is in trouble. DJ is not the only reason why Clemson's offense is ineffective right now. Mm-mm. That was so – I was watching the game. You know, social media is open. I'm thinking about tweeting something, and, you know, it was like – do you just make the call to bench DJ? And I don't like doing that because that feels like such a fan reaction thing to do. Like, get him out of there. But I tried to be as like level-headed as I could. I'm like, it feels like Clemson needs to make a change to see if the problem is DJ or if it's the offense. Because it did look like it did last year. And then what we hear from Dabo all offseason and at ACC Media Days wasn't DJ's fault. It was the offensive line, and it was we didn't find our running back, and the receivers didn't make plays. All right. Well, then, if that's the case, it just felt like necessary to make a move to find out if that's exactly what's happening. It could almost be good for DJ if he came out and the offense saw the same results. I think mentally for him, it'd be a sigh of relief. Like, okay, it's not all on me. These guys aren't playing very good. Um, Obviously, Dabo didn't do that. Dabo wants, he is trying to will this into existence, this succession plan, because he will tell you this is closer to, who was it, uh, who handed the reins, Deshaun to Trevor? Was that the cleaner one? No, he was Kelly Bryant, right? It was Kelly Bryant, yeah. He wants it to be more of a succession plan than a competition or a threatening of your job. And man, he I mean, listen to ACC Media Days, I think you see a quarterback who has very, very fragile confidence right now. It's totally understandable. Last year was rough. And you see it almost during the game, but then he makes a great play. And you're like, oh, if we can get that. And I think Dabo wants him to play his way out of it. Maybe two cupcakes, they'll be able to play their way out of it. But I don't know. The offense looked very similar to last year, and we saw flashes last year. Thankfully, DJ didn't make that critical mistake. But against their better opponents, like, He's got to clean some of this up, and the offense does have to click better. I I have some concerns about the lack of experience for Clemson's offensive coaching staff. Like I I I I got tipped to this on Twitter the other night, and I forgot who who mentioned this, but 
So running back coach C.J. Spiller, unpaid intern during 2020 season, you know, named running backs coach last year, no prior college coaching experience, right? Thomas Austin, their, their offensive line coach, was an, you know, an intern under Caldwell, or a GA under Caldwell, off-field analyst. He has two years at Georgia State. Not a whole lot of time spent elsewhere in, in an actual coaching role. I mean, Tyler Grisham looks looks younger than me. He has some experience, you know, with with Jeff Scott, right? He was the camp director uh, in 2018 and 2019. Brandon Streeter is the most experienced guy. You know, he's he's the quarterback coach and the OC. Uh, Kyle Richardson, their, their passing game coordinator, tight ends coach, has mm-hmm. was a high school coach. Clemson's offensive staff and Dabo's not a scheme guy. Right, he was a receivers coach, rah rah, vibes. culture guys love him. Vibes, recruiting guy. I don't know how much experience Clemson has on that offensive staff to sit and look at this thing and say, "Hey, there's a reason Georgia Tech knows what we're doing a concerning amount of the time." Right? When I was at X, when I was at Y, we did this, we did that, and I'm not saying that high school coaches aren't qualified to do that. I think oftentimes they can be. But that is a lot of inexperience on Clemson's offensive coaching staff. And to me, until they start looking better and more than just DJ, uh, until teams with lesser talent stop acting like they know what's coming, I'm going to have some concerns about that. They really have a lack of overall college coaching experience, not only at the P5 level, but even at the G5 level. And I'm, it just makes me wonder a little bit. I'm not sounding alarm bells. I just when, when, when somebody mentioned that to me on Twitter, and if it was you, I apologize for not giving the shout out. I'm not trying to take your content. Maybe maybe Google this the other night. I was like, hmm, yeah, that's kind of weird. I don't have any experience, but my advice would be to do things that are quicker developing because that is the one thing that I, I don't know if that's DJ, if that's just the way the play is designed, but too many of the option plays that they do, the RPOs and anything, are taking way too long behind that offensive line to either make the choice or decide what the read takes too long before they decide what they're doing. And by the time the decision's made, the play's blown up. We are just feeding right into, I mean, just attacking Dabo's hiring practices. The rest of y'all bus is, is just loading up. Like we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to find ourselves in a, in a Dabo Sweeney press conference here soon. I'm, uh, I'm looking he's forward. Got, we won 41 to 10 and you're dropping us in the polls. What more do you want us to do? Oh man. He's got some fuel to that fire. I know it's <laughs> well, the, the thing is, as we've said, the defense is so damn good. Mm-hmm. that just, like us nitpicking could still end up with Clemson as the ACC champion. Yes. Like that's that defense is that defense is the most elite unit in the conference. So it's yeah. They they just it, as long as Brian Brzee is healthy and just exploding whatever you want to do offensively from the interior of the defensive line, opponents are just not going to be able to score a lot and eventually like we can uh, Antonio Williams, a young player, got a lot of buzz coming out of fall camp. But, you know, flash for like a minute. It's like cool to see. Uh, it's cool to see multiple slot receivers after we talked about how Clemson had nothing but big old Cadillacs on the outside, all the same bodies. Looks like they've got some diversity of weapons, but still, the it's just not a. It is not a unit that looks like it is delivering performances that match the expectation based on the recruiting profiles of all the people involved. You know. Right? To look at the at the experience of the defensive coaching staff, uh, and this is kind of a rabbit hole. I didn't think we'd go down on the show, but like Nick Eason was the Bengals' defensive line coach, and then Auburn's defensive line coach. He's he's been some some places before. You know, Mike Reed was the DB coach at NC State for 
I mean, I'm an ACC guy. Like, I, I five years probably. Like, like, like he's been there a, a while, right? Like, they, there's a lot more upper level college coaching experience and even some NFL coaching experience on Clemson's defensive staff, whereas the offensive coaching staff is almost entirely internal promotions guys who have come up only through the Clemson system. And I think it'd be good if they got some ideas from outside the program to come in there, help. Uh, send, send one of these you know coaches who's on the sidelines right now a, uh, a laptop and maybe have him do some consulting. Let him see what he sees. That's an old school ACC joke with the laptop. Remember when Dave oh, Dorian got no, that was a <laughs> That was a certain coach got fired and maybe commissioner wouldn't let him coach in the league, but we were pretty sure that he was uh, he was doing consulting work for, for an eventual national championship participant laptop thing. Do you guys... Uh, None of which I can I, prove, but I'm... I'm Quick aside, Nick Eason, uh, I was on the Broncos. He was a draft pick, third or fourth round. Training camp, where's Nick? Where's Nick Eason? Just ghosted, peace out. Was like, I'm done. Like, for, like quit. It was too much, too much. They had to go, like, get him. They had to call him back, like, call him back. It happens all the time. Like, guys just think it's too much, and they quit. He was one of them. And it was good to see, like, he bounced back and had a decent little NFL career. But I remember that because once you, like – a guy doesn't show up for practice. It's a big deal. Like, what the heck happened? And he just, he was like homesick, wanted to quit, whatever it was. Uh, but I'll never forget that uh, when I was on the team. Just a quick aside. Dan- Danny Cannell says Clemson's defensive line coach is a quitter. Find out more <laughs> on this aggregated. <laughs> um, all right. I mentioned the new AP Top 25 came out. Massive uh, jumps up. For Florida, after beating Utah, a big fall down all the way out of the top 25 for Oregon after that lopsided loss to Georgia. But it is the Georgia Bulldogs who have not only jumped ahead of Ohio State, but also taken some of the first place votes from Alabama because the 17 first place votes that Georgia had means that they got some, a few of the first place votes that Ohio State had, but then also some from the Crimson Tide, which means now we get to engage in a debate that will have no answer until December 4th. Who you got? Who should, it's uh, Maybe not who you got, but who's the best team in college football, Alabama or Georgia? I don't know, but Georgia should be number one right now. Like, if you just... Agreed. If you're actually basing it on what's happened, Georgia is the defending champion. Georgia comes in, beats the number 11 team in the country that you thought was number 11 last week, and you drop out of the polls completely, beats them by 46 points. Alabama played a good Utah State team that won the Mountain West but was not ranked and beat them by 55 points. If you're looking at resume and what they did last year, Georgia should be number one. Is Georgia going to be the best team in the nation at the end of the year? I I don't know, but I, I that's... To me, Georgia should be ahead of Bama right now, and Oregon should still be ranked. Dropping them out of the polls completely is just dumb. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, if you do it the way you're supposed to, resume-based, you know, roster-based too. I mean, that Georgia did not lose their quarterback. I mean, that's kind of always been a philosophy. And if you're a national champion and you bring back your quarterback, the most important position of the game, and I get that that was a defensive-oriented team, I think they deserve it. Now, if you said, who do you think wins the SEC? I would lean towards Bama. That's why I've leaned toward all the time. That's why I had them one in the preseason. But I think they deserve to be number one right now. And that's subject to change, too. I don't know if I would keep them there. Like, if Bama goes to Texas, waxes them, similar fashion, 49-3, to three, on the road, 
And guess what? Maybe Bama goes back there. But I wish we all, when I say all of us, the AP voters, like people that put out polls, I wish we started from scratch every week, Built, look at the resume, what have you done now? Like the way the committee says they do, like I wish we all did that. You know, and by the way, the best thing that happened to Utah was Florida coming in at 12. Like that's a huge win for Utah. Yeah. So what's so Florida coming in at 12, it will be put to the test immediately as Kentucky is coming to, to the swamp this Saturday. But was that that was higher than I thought? You know, every Saturday night I have to fill out tomorrow's top 25 today, make projections of what the new AP poll is going to look like. I guessed 15, and I thought that maybe I was even being bullish there. 12 is quite a statement. Is that the 12th best team in the country? I'm taking Bam over Georgia, by the way. You would put like, him at number one right now? Yeah. Because I, I I don't think it's really – well, okay, if you wanted to – like who was more impressive on Saturday, it was Georgia. They played a much better opponent. If it's who do I think is going to win, which we can say we were resume-based, but inherent in resume ranking is some value judgment as to the quality of opponent, right? I mean – Kind of has to be, but is or do you think Oregon is worse than Utah State? I do not. No, I I I'd probably have Oregon. So do you think it's more difficult 24. to beat Oregon by forty six or Utah State by fifty five? I think it, I think what Georgia did is more impressive. Is what Georgia would what Georgia did translate as well to playing Bama? Now look, we gave Stetson what Bennett Bama did translate as lot. well to playing Georgia. I think so. Yeah, really. Yeah, like I think Bama could have scored a hundred if it wanted to. You know, like they they probably got 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 some bullets left. I will get, give Stats of War credit for this. He, he he had this stat. Stetson Bennett is 115th in average depth of target. Yes, it was. Now look, they dinked and dunked, and then had just you know huge dudes breaking tackles and 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 running long. I'm not sure that is exactly going to work against Alabama. Did Stetson is is in complete control of this offense? The key word there is this offense. Is what they do good enough? Maybe it is. It was definitely good enough last year with the defense that they had. This defense is not as good as last year's defense. So, I don't know. In a big game, I'm still going to take Bryce Young over Stetson Bennett. See, I, I'm with you. I think Alabama is... Well, that's not a, like, that's a take I think we all agree on, right? Yeah, like we'd it's all just take not Bryce right Young now. They don't deserve Bennett. to be ranked ahead of them. Well, okay, I'm taking Bama over Georgia because of, of the quarterback difference. See, this, is, this isn't, this is Chip. We're completely glossing over the question about Florida, so I'll just say quickly, no, I don't think Florida's the 12th best team in the country. But this is the problem with the preseason polls is because when we vote on these polls and we put in our ballots, like it's humans doing it, and humans are far more interested in proving themselves they were right all along than they are in actually adjusting their expectations or their opinions of a team. Because last week it was like Alabama's better than Georgia. And then you go out and you see, and maybe Georgia to look better than Alabama, but you don't want to convince yourself you were wrong. So then you keep Georgia ahead. And it's what we all do. So it's that's what I hate about preseason polls because it just sets an expectation for what it should be. And then we just slot teams up and slot them down based on what we saw last week. And we don't actually put any thought into it. And Ohio State fans are furious, by the way after beating the number five team in the country, and then all of a sudden just seeing yourself <laughs> drop out of the conversation. We spent we spent three months, Alabama, Ohio State, Alabama, Ohio State, Alabama, Ohio State. The Buckeyes win against the fifth-ranked Irish, and it's like, mm, no, 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 no. You step aside right now. Let's, let's let Georgia in, and you can come play nice little fiddle. All while, by the way, Michigan making a subtle move to number four and just further setting us up for – 
this scenario. That what was Tom my preseason predicted, CFP Tom, prediction? That Tom Fernelli <laughs> predicted. Tom said that when Ohio State and Michigan meet at the end of the season, it will be 11-0 Ohio State against 11-0 Michigan. And... It's so already get two SEC twelve and zero Georgia. It's going to be two SEC two Big Ten teams in the playoff this year. It's already that, started. Is that your prediction? Yeah. yeah. Is that your pre- nice? It was a good prediction. <laughs> already there. Looking good so far. Uh, coming up on the other side, we are going to take a look at the Week Two schedule. We're going to draft some games. We can help you put together your Saturday viewer's guide with our thoughts on what some of the best games, the ones you don't want to miss, drafting them against each other, and the return of where he been next. So we had, uh, it was very, uh, you know, um, unequal. It was, it was a little disconnected when we had our Thursday slate and our Friday slate holding the same amount of weight as the Saturday slate. Mm-hmm. This one feels like it's a little bit more even uh, as we're going to be going through. And we will be drafting on your fantasy watch list. You need to have one noon slate game, one midday game, one primetime game, and then one wild card game. So we'll have four rounds. You've got four spots to fill. And by the end of this, we hopefully have 16 games for you to keep your eyes on and be able to prioritize for yourself. Bud, you have the first pick in the week two game draft. What are you going to be taking? All right. A lot of really good games this week, but I'm going to go with time slot scarcity here. So I'm going to go on Friday night, uh, a game that I, I may go to in person. A couple of my neighbors are going. I uh, got invited. I'm going Louisville at UCF. UCF, six and a half point favorite. Louisville looked terrible against Syracuse, much to my chagrin. Uh, and... Louisville has to have a bounce back game here because if they don't, I think you have an early sort of hot seat candidate leader with Scott Satterfield. If Louisville gets gets worked here, you got FSU coming to town next Friday night off off a bye and and feeling pretty good about their defensive line. <clears throat> an 0 3 starts on the table for them potentially. And if that happens, that recruiting class falls apart, right? Like they're not going to sign all those kids from California, NIL or not, if, uh, if if it looks like they're going to, you know, miss a bowl. I'm going Louisville at UCF. I, I, UCF, I really like what they're doing with, with, with John Rice Plumley, the quarterback from Old Miss. You guys probably last saw him play QB against LSU in LSU's championship season when he ran for like 300 yards. He is legitimate like an SEC receiver level of athlete. And I love Gus Malzahn offenses. When you have a running quarterback, I hate when they try to do all this passing stuff. So Louisville's defense, you gonna, you going to come correct this week or are you just going to look totally lost again like last week? And, uh, yeah, that's what I want for a number one pick. Fun little stat involving that game with Louisville coming off the road loss to Syracuse from Ralph Michaels on Twitter. When a team loses game one as an away favorite and is on the road again for its game two, like Louisville is, they are 1-12-1 against the spread the last 14 times that has happened. Hey, look at everyone just grabbing a little note right now. That's <laughs> phenomenal. I'm stealing that. <laughs> Let's think about this real quick. All right, so why, why would this be? Because confidence. Well, right. But also like you're not you're that rarely, good. You're rarely starting on <laughs> the road. Not that good. Right. <laughs> like good teams don't usually start on the road. Okay. So if you're, if you're good, if you're a good team and you're starting on the road, you're going to be favored. But if you lose that game, maybe you shouldn't have been favored. Maybe you're not that good. And, and thus you subsequently lose in a tough back-to-back road game spot, which they, they have here. I just I, I thought the sample set on that was small, right? I mean, like only 13 games. I think Tom said 14, but still one twelve and one. 
Right. No, there's no doubt. Like there's there's some signal to it, I I think, but just the the number of games struck me as, as sort of interesting as well. Um for, for, forget all your science. It's about confidence. It's shaken. You thought you were gonna be good and you ain't. And that's it's tough to recover from that. Takes takes a little while. One seven I, days can't do it. I say it, I say it time and time again, Chip. We call it momentum in a game, but it's really confidence and it does impact performance on the field just like it does for everybody in every part of their life. Especially in college football with uh, with what we're dealing with. Okay, that is your wild card selection, uh, Louisville at UCF. Tom, where are you going to be going here in the first round? I'm going to go to another thing I think is scarce this week. I was looking at that Saturday night primetime slate, and I was just like, ooh, this is this is not the greatest set of Saturday night games. I think we're probably going to be able to start the reaction show somewhat early this week, boys. But I'm going to take a game It's very interesting to me, and I think it's very interesting given what we saw over the weekend. Give me Kentucky and Florida, because obviously Anthony Richardson was one of the bigger stories of the first week. Florida beating Utah was one of the bigger stories of the first week. And now Florida has jumped up to 12 in the AP poll, which is too high, but can't, you know, they beat a team that was in the top 10, so you got to put them up there. But I think this is a really interesting situation because my fear is that expectations were raised a little too quickly based on what we saw against Utah in the opener. And now a good Kentucky team is coming to town and we do have some questions about possible suspensions, Chris Rodriguez and others, whether they'll be available. My gut tells me they will be, but we'll see. And it's going to see how does Florida react to being the winner? How does it react to being successful last week against a top 10 team? Did it spend all week kind of, you know, puffing its chest out, feeling good, maybe going to some parties on Saturday night, Sunday night, a little hangover coming into this week? Or do they get back to work, get their business set for what is going to be a big game in the SEC East? So for me, Florida, Kentucky is one of the bigger games of the week. I'm taking it first. SEC, Homer, two teams in the playoff. Now you're grabbing Kentucky, Florida. My goodness. I just love the SEC with all my heart. It just means more to me, Dan. (laughs) I I tell you what, I I went back and watched that Kentucky game against Miami, Ohio. Miami, Ohio lost a ton on defense to the draft or to like guys who are still in NFL training camps or or have a chance to make a roster. And as a MAC team, like that's something that's worth tracking. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like not everybody's going to get drafted, but do you have guys who can stick on a roster or even stick on a practice squad? They still posted one of the absolute highest pressure rates of the weekend against Kentucky. Like Kentucky at home should not be allowing sky high pressure rates to a rebuilt Miami. Like I know they have Joe Bowen as their linebacker coach now. Shout out for making our, our 30 under 30 list on 24-7 sports made by Chris Hummer. Guys, that's uh that's concerning taking that into the swamp. I think that what Mark Stoops has had KG, not KG, he's he is seems helpless when he talks about the suspensions. It is out of his hand. Are, are you are y'all hearing this the same and reading this the same? Or yeah, it, it's kind of like the Joe Focha thing at uh, at LSU with, with the NCAA, where deal. there's nothing that they can do about it. They're just sitting around waiting for somebody to say, "Okay, he's clear. Yeah. Okay, we know how many games it is." That kind of issue. Like I know Brian Kelly yesterday said that uh, that Joe, the safety transfer they took from Arkansas, would be back this year. Like he flat out said, "Like we're confident he'll be back this year," but did not offer a timetable. Mm. I suspect this is a similar thing. Okay. That's, I mean, every Chris Rodriguez is one of the best running backs in the SEC. And with him not there, even though, uh, oh no, I don't have it. Is it Tavion Mitchell, the Virginia Tech transfer? Mitchell is last name? I thought it was Tavion 
Wait, Wandell was Robinson. Oh shoot, what's Tavion? Damn it, I knew Robinson. This. Yeah, Tavion yeah. Robinson. They're both Robinson. That's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Tavion Robinson. He was uh, he he seemed to emerge as a as a good option and a good replacement for Wandell Robinson within that offense. All right, Danny. You, I mean, all right, I. Play the hit, I, Danny. Play the hits, Canel. Just gonna let it. Like, oh, absolutely! You guys gonna, you just I'm gonna a brand whore. Like, yes, I'm a brand whore. I don't know how many times you're gonna get to see this prime time. Maybe probably will get to see him a lot. Um, if I would have told you what point spread was bigger, Oklahoma State versus Arizona State in Stillwater or USC in Palo Alto against Stanford. Wouldn't you probably have said it's going to be USC with all those weapons going to be a massive favorite? Wouldn't you say that? I think there's something up with this game. I'm going to go ahead and jump on. I'm going to take the Trojans. I'm going to take Lincoln Riley, all that star power, traveling to sleepy Stanford and see if they can get this thing back up. The 66 points in week one was everything everybody wanted to see. Now, how do you do it against David Shaw and the dream killers of the Stanford Cardinal? I, I want to see this show in prime time. It that's got the ABC window right there at seven yes. thirty. Yeah. They are just like they are looking at this, thinking that the nation is going to tune in to see what Lincoln's got cooking because no one watched the Rice game for a half. I watched the Rice game <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> just just the offensive cutups, right? First four drives for Rice. 74 yards, 6 yards, 63 yards, 75 yards. Now, Rice threw three pick sixes that kind of masked what they did offensively. But they did come out until it got you know really ugly because they never stopped USC. They were able to move the ball in this USC defense. I do not feel any better about this USC defense than I did entering the, the, this season. EJ Smith is going to score – touchdowns on this USC defense and the it would be hilarious potential of USC at sleepy Stanford on a big national stage is high I can't oh, I, I can't it. wait I'm shocked I can't wait to, to see the atmosphere can't wait to see it <laughs> prime time Saturday night against USC in town there's gonna be hundreds of people there so I didn't know that we were going to be making graphics of these draft picks and sharing them so I can't let this get out of the first round. Give me Alabama at Texas. Okay. The idea that you're not going to be watching this game is preposterous because, number one, there's like an aesthetic side of this because whether Quinn Ewers is running for his life with Will Anderson and Dallas Turner bearing down on him every single passing down or if he is com- completing – uh, crazy throws on the run down the field to Xavier Worthy and Texas is able to move the ball a little bit against Alabama's defense. Both of those are extremely high entertainment value. And Nick Saban, after losing to, uh, after taking his first two ever losses to former assistants, you know, first to Jimbo Fisher and then to Kirby Smart in the national championship game, he has changed his tone in these press conferences from being like, well, he's somebody that I respect a lot. I know they're going to be well-prepared. So now being like, hey, hey, what do you think that this means that I don't know what Steve's going to do? I I had my thumb on Steve for all these years. 
the the idea that an angry Alabama team might go into this and run it up is also entertaining. It's Alabama in its first real test. If we're going to have any debate about where Alabama sits at the top of the pecking order, we need some quality opponents. And I think Texas is a quality opponent. Uh, yeah, I'm just not going to let that fall out of the first round. Alabama at Texas. Can, we, my first one. can we change that narrative, though, that you mentioned it? Because it, it was always Nick Saban has never lost to one of his former assistants. Can we just change that now to Nick Saban has lost two of his last three against his former assistants? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I like that. Is, is Nick Saban losing steam? I don't know, but <laughs> recent trends suggest it might be. Actually, Yes, Let's, I, we're, we're going to keep that one going. Every single HQ hit, every single radio hit. If I get asked about Alabama and Texas, it's like, well, look, Alabama is up against it. It's circle the wagons time. They've lost two of their last three to former assistants. We need a graphic for that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, That's a graphic that'll go viral. Um, All right. I totally misunderstood the rules of this draft, by the way. I, I thought we had to pick a Thursday night game. Y'all were going to like be There's stuck no Thursday night game. No, no. I thought you were going to have to pick like, Rams pick, Bills. Like, some that's FCS my Thursday game night that he, game. he was apparently calling. The other night on CBS Sports Network, which was great. So I'm sure great. I, I definitely watched it. Uh, <laughs> like, okay, yeah. So I uh, just for the record, I did not know <laughs> your wild we were cards out of the way. Rules. You just you you just wanted yeah, to get yeah. your wild card. Yeah, in, you, you yeah. even said like, hey, I, I might go over there to see if Scott Satterfield gets yeah. fired before mid October. You know, like it's. Hey, I understand you had a good selling point. I'm gonna um, get roasted for this for 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 not. Uh, no, it's, for a great pick. it's a UCF great first. pick. It's okay. Uh, Alabama at Texas is my first pick, so my noon slate is filled. And then for I'm going to go to the primetime next and give me Baylor at BYU. Um, seems like a fantastic opportunity for us to test whether Baylor is one of the 10 best teams in the country. Um, and then also to be able to see whether BYU is going to be able to continue to build on what have been like not – it was not a one season flash like Kalani Sataki has been building this thing with an identity. Jaron Hall looks very good. As we mentioned on either Saturday night or Monday's show, that wide receiver core was already down. Like they took, they did not put uh, Puka Nakua back in the game. Gunnar Romney didn't even play. Hall still had a great game. We don't have Tyler Allegier anymore, but the run game still looks good. BYU is a slight favorite in this game. And so big time, uh, you know, narratives and perceptions that will be put to the test, uh, both in terms of the national ranking and in terms of the point spread. Blake Shapin looked great, but how much can you put into that given the opponent that they played in week one? So give me Baylor at BYU as my uh, as my primetime game. Cash, you guys something here with this game? Does that total look low to you? I don't want to spoil anything for tomorrow's show, but just going through the games this morning and I was looking, I was like, huh. Leaves a little 54 low, and a half, right? Is that what it is? I saw it at 53 and a half, and they scored like 60 something last season together. So I'm just, I looks a little I low. I think right? it's got to, it's got to be like, so Romney, Romney did not play against USF. Oh, okay. And then, and then Puka got hurt again, allegedly against USF and didn't come back in the game. But I thought I either saw or heard that he could have come back in the game so maybe it's if BYU doesn't have those two weapons like I don't know if they're going to play or not Baylor also lost like most of their like known commodities at receiver I guess but did they have known commodities at receiver with Gary Bohannon okay all right brief discussion of this game if Puka and Romney don't play these teams are like 
very, very close to each other in terms of, of style. Really good O-line, really good D-line. Quarterback that I think college ball nerds probably know about and the national media doesn't talk about a whole lot in, in, in Hall and Blake Shapin. Massive questions at receiver. Some questions at defensive back. BYU is more experienced. Uh, I love this game. I'm really excited yeah, to watch no, it's this it's a good one. game. That's the thing. It's that quarterback battle where I saw that total and I was just like, huh. huh. A little, little strange there. Yeah, and also just, again, no science here, but there's no way that this game is like finished in under three and a half hours. No. Like, this is like touchdowns and we're up till two kind of smell to it. I mean, it's already an important game too, and I feel like it's also both teams are going to want to make a point seeing as how they'll be sharing a conference soon. Mm, man, that was a good point. This is a Big 12 conference yeah. game. Mm-hmm. Let's go. All right, Danny, back to you. All right, you guys are letting me take all the prime slots. I'll go ABC 330, little SEC versus ACC. We saw this game last year. It was the first opportunity for Hendon Hooker to get the ball. He took it from Joe Milton and ran with it. I love what he does. Pat Narduzzi, I'm sure he's salty somewhere because they're not getting enough respect in this matchup as a touchdown underdog. I think this game's going to be really fun. I think it's going to be competitive, and I I cannot wait to see it. And I might – I don't know. I've been getting a little too trollish on Twitter, but, but just watch out. No. If Pitt you? wins this game, <laughs> if Pitt wins this game, just mute me now. <laughs> that's, that's also the clip. If Pitt wins this game, mute me now. <laughs> Jordan just muted you as you were talking. <laughs> exactly. Man, I, I did take I did take a Hendon Hooker for Heisman bet uh, on the side, so I did play that. Yeah, I seen somewhere on ESPN they said it was going to be seventy five percent West Virginia fans in here. Panther Nation showed up. It's disrespectful to our fan base. I mean, just fresh off the rivalry win, jumps mm-hmm. on with Scott Van Pelt with just flames him. SVP's like, what did I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it, Coach. No, I thought he handled it well. Anyway, but that's Dude, yeah. he's got a list. That's, that guy, uh, the chips. The, there's, there's not enough chips in the world <laughs> to match the chips on on that man's shoulders. Uh, fantastic pick, like you said, high scoring seven point game a year ago. Like we thought that it was going to be ground and pound, and maybe some of that was West Virginia's defense. But didn't Pitt just put up a bunch of points too? I just, I, I think that this is going to be extremely exciting. Uh, End to end. Great pick. All right, Tom. Uh, I'm going to stick in that same time window. Going to go for the only game on Saturday that actually matters. I'm thrilled Ah, to get it in the second round. Give me El Asico, Iowa versus Iowa State. I just, I need at least another three and a half hours of watching that Iowa offense try to play football. I think that it's just a great atmosphere, great rivalry. Iowa's kind of dominated it in recent years, but maybe this is the year the Cyclones get over the hump and score eight points, which Iowa cannot match. Look, I remember, I'm old enough to remember when this game was two ranked teams and they had it on ABC Mm -hmm. or Fox or big old national windows. You got to have that premium cable subscription to find it now. This is the year when it's good. This is the year when you get rewarded for having to go and crawl into the crawl into your deep 300s of your cable guide to be able to go find this one. I'm, I like you said, 
We've got Matt Campbell as a dog. We've got an Iowa State team that no one's talking about. And we've got Iowa coming off a field goal and two safeties. There's the entertainment value is through the roof on this one. I had this uh, I had this very high on my list as well. I had a live blog this game like a year ago. That's what I'm saying. Like we've had years where this has held significant national interest. Yeah. Now it's only for actually, like somebody actually I, trip, the numbers showed it did not hold that significant <laughs> of national interest <laughs> when I did the live blog. <laughs> uh Isaac in the chat, the game has returned to its roots. I think that's a fair way to to look at uh El Asico here. Iowa State at Iowa goes in the second round to Tom. All right, bud. All right, uh, a game which could, in theory, have some playoff implications if really, really weird things happen here. Uh, and by really weird, I mean a lot of teams fall apart and Houston somehow runs the table because they have a pretty easy AAC schedule. I'm going to go to Lubbock. I'm gonna, Houston at Texas Tech, ranked team. Houston, favored team, Texas Tech, even without their starting quarterback. Tyler Show is going to miss a couple weeks, it looks like. Houston, I'm not really sure, looked all that great, to be honest, against UTSA. They, they still got the, got the dub, but uh, some some concerns I have there. I feel like I'll learn a lot about both teams. It should be a, a higher-scoring game. Saw the total opened at 50-and-a-half, not really agreeing with that. I think it's up about 10 points now, uh, which is probably where it should be. But can Dana go to Lubbock and get the dub? That's pretty key. And honestly, it'd be huge for the Texas Tech coaching staff if they can pull out a victory with their record quarterback. Well, Don, Donovan Smith's good. Yes. Like, that's... Yeah, correct. Yeah. Great game a, stepping in. Yeah, I, I think that that's one thing that, as a Texas Tech fan, you're encouraged by. And, like, Texas Tech, slight favorite here, right? Three points I saw, yeah. Yeah, three. That's, uh, that like you said, bud, big challenge for Houston and uh, could be a great win for Texas Tech. So, I'm, I like that game as well. Right, you've got a, now the first pick of the third round. All right, he, here's where I have to kind of make up some ground. I'm going to go to the noon slate. And I think there's one game here that is really, really pretty interesting. I'm going to go ESPN. South Carolina goes to Arkansas. Now, look, if you watch this game, I watched some cut-ups of the South Carolina one. I, I watched the full game on Cincinnati-Arkansas. Arkansas was dominating Cincinnati for the most part until they started having some defensive injuries. And Arkansas's defense got exposed when that happened. I mean, Ben Bryant threw for like, 300 yards in about 20 minutes when, when, when Catalan and Schuler and the defensive linemen went out. On the other side, all this offseason chatter, and I'm kind of bought in. I mean, I'm over five and a half for South Carolina on their win total, like early in the offseason. I, I still feel okay about that. South Carolina's offensive line is very experienced, going to be much improved. Uh-uh. Georgia State was in that backfield all night. That offense looked not that much improved from last year. They had two punt block touchdowns in that mm-hmm. game. Like the final score was very misleading. So if I was convinced Arkansas was healthy, I'm taking Arkansas to hammer South Carolina, but I'm not. So this is sort of a a matchup here. We're going to learn something about both these teams, I think. Just just how much depth does Arkansas actually have in that secondary and, and is South Carolina's offensive line capable of blocking anybody? Spencer Rattler very quickly went from being Spencer Rattler to the South Carolina quarterback. <laughs> like, I was just... I... I, I I do not hear anyone talking about Spencer Rattler as a difference maker ahead of this game. Like, well, you know what? You know, we got a good South Carolina defense. They should cause some problems for KJ Jefferson and this Arkansas offense and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, no, we, we still have the former five-star prospect, the former Oklahoma quarterback, Spencer Rattler over there. That's, that's how troublesome I think his performance was against Georgia state in that opener that there's, 
no one is looking at the South Carolina offense as a reason why the Gamecocks can win this game. Mm-hmm. But if if Ben Bryant can go off on those backup Arkansas DBs, so can Rattler. Like, I mean, we could easily be sitting here and be like, wow, he threw for 400. You know, so he's, maybe Georgia State shuts down North Carolina too. Maybe they just got a really good defense. Um, Brandon Marcello, I think, pointed this out on Twitter, saw it. He he mentioned that the the real matchup there will be our South Carolina's tight ends against like Drew Sanders and some of those other Arkansas linebackers. Who can win some of those battles? Can you get those uh can you get those throws to the tight ends? That'll be uh, one key thing to watch for sure. All right, Tom. I should speed this up a little bit, but we talked about this game at the top of the show already, touched on it. Uh, I'm going to the early slate. Give me Wake and Vandy. This is just suddenly a lot more interesting game with Sam Hartman returning. We've seen Vandy get off to a 2-0 start. This is clearly their biggest test. We saw the line jump nearly a touchdown, I think, since the Hartman news became public information. I I think we're going to get a much better idea what Vandy is in 2022. We're going to see how close we can get to over by October. Maybe we're there by the end of the day. And this is also a Wake team that, you know, going on the road, even if it's Vandy, beating an SEC team on the road, something that, you know, you can hang your hat on. So it could be Wake and Vandy. Parker's about to get two shouts out in the same episode. Uh, Stats of War on Twitter, Purple Theory Podcast. But uh, he he called that Wake-Vandy line a crypto bubble. So I'm just, <laughs> just going to wait until that thing. Like let let that get to like 17, right? Mm-hmm. You know, let let that thing get way out of control and and watch me anchor down on the other side of that because uh, that's a it's quite an adjustment for uh for again Sam Hartman very key to Wake's season long hopes within the context of one game. It's a very very big adjustment. All right, Danny. All right, I'm going to go to a must-win, backs-against-the-wall, gotta-have-it game between two 0-1 teams. Boston College, Virginia Tech. No. That game's going to be gross. I don't want any part of that. Noon slate. I'm a company man. Army. Yes. And UTSA. Damn, that was going to be my wild card. Yeah, that's a good game. It is a really good game. Noon on CBS Sports Network. Um, by the way, the reason it's must win, Jeff Trailer, love him. He's one of my favorite guys. Talked to him uh, last week before the Houston game. They take that game, of course, to overtime. Just come up short. They have Texas next. It is probably one of the toughest three-game stretches to start the season. Anybody in the country? Jeff Munkin, they had a tough game against uh, Coastal. Lost that one, 38-28. to Two-and-a-half-point line. I think it's going to be close towards the end. I think this is going to be a nail-biter, so I'll take that in my noon window. Yeah. Two very, like, two good football teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you hate to see it, but, like, it's it could be it's going to be an 0-2 start for one of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah no, <laughs> Boston College at Virginia Tech in the 8 p.m. slate is not my selection, but that <laughs> is, like, the misery bowl. Like, whoever comes out of that one 0-2 is – already off pace from where they wanted to be the wild card let me get clear the wild card pick is you can double up in a window yeah, anything yeah. you want okay cool um so i've already got a midday with uh alabama well that's uh, an early with alabama texas because that's in the noon window and i've got my uh pm with baylor and byu so that means that i need to get something in that sort of midday slate Give me. Oh, why not? 
We'll see. We'll see what App State's got for Texas A and M. I don't think it'll be a lot, but we'll see. It's it seems like the kind of game where, based on the narrative of what Texas A and M did uh, with a slow start against Sam Houston, App State scoring forty points in the fourth quarter, the heartbreaking loss to North Carolina. You look at App State and you think like, all right, here we go. But last year, we were also in the position of taking App State plus the points against Miami. Miami covered that game somewhat easily. We're probably up for something similar there. But um, but still, we've, we've got to put the microscope to Texas A&M. If we're going to declare them as a top 10 team, then we need to see something a little bit more than what we saw against Sam Houston State. So give me uh, Texas A&M and App State in that 330 window. Oh, and my next pick, wild card. North Carolina and Georgia State. <laughs> that is definitely a wild card for sure. What's, what's more entertaining than watching North Carolina football games right now? You get to watch an NFL quarterback <laughs> and a Conference USA defense at the same time. I mean, it's incredible that you can span the lengths of competition and watch an NFL quarterback in a Conference USA defense. I mean, just nothing but touchdowns and fireworks and entertainment. Uh, give me North Carolina at Georgia State for the next one. I mean, I'm interested in the other side of the ball just from, from an absolute sicko mode standpoint. Uh, you have like the very movable object versus the very resistible force <laughs> being North Carolina's defensive backs who still look like they're not coached at all and Georgia State's passing offense, which was 8 of 29, I believe, against South Carolina. So something has to give. We'll probably see a lot of wide open guys and maybe some throws that go into the bleachers. I I, I don't that's uh yeah, that, that's gonna be wild to watch. All right, Danny, one more. I know you guys right. last one for me, wild card. I'll just make it nice and clean because I got noon, three thirty, seven thirty. Oregon State traveling mm. to Fresno State to take Jay Kaner, the Pac twelve killer <laughs> on this game flipped, I believe. Fresno State was a one-point favorite. Now Oregon State is a one-point favorite after they took uh, care of business week one. Uh, pretty impressive start for them against Boise. I've got Boise this week. They've got issues. Hank Bachmeyer's benched. Um, but I'll go ahead and take that one. I think that one could be a close game at the finish. And I think it could be a nice a start to the season for Oregon State. We'll see. Excellent. Love that. All right, Tom. All right. Uh well, I wasn't really planning to do it, but it's still there, and I have a wild card. So Duke Northwestern. No, no, no. Too disgusting. Too disgusting. Um, Virginia, Illinois. Oh, yeah. I'm ready to be heard again. Genuinely interesting game, I think, for both teams. So Illinois obviously got robbed by crooked officials in Bloomington on Friday night, you know, and Virginia Looked solid in its opening game in Tony Elliott's first tenure, but this will be their very first test. This is also the game last year. Virginia blew the Illini out, and it caused Illinois to completely adjust everything they do on defense. So it's going to be an interesting rematch. So I figure there's not going to be a whole lot happening during El Asico that I have to give it my undivided attention so I could split it with Virginia, Illinois on the other screen. I'm, uh, I'm shocked that messing up early on as I did – didn't uh, didn't cost me more in this. There's, I was gonna say, there's one still pretty good game I think in prime time. Oh, there, by there the way, a- I was I was wrong about Miami App State. That was a 25-23 win. App State did cover that spread. So here we go, Nears. Let's go. 
Let's go cover at Texas A&M. So do I – is the late night game count for primetime? Yes. Like, can I yeah. take – okay. Yeah. All right. I'm not really all that interested in watching Arizona State and Oklahoma State, I, I guess. Me neither. Like I, I get it. I want to see Mississippi State, Arizona. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is the all one. Right. We're on the same page as, as we often are. I think Mississippi State's pretty good. Arizona is clearly improved. But how improved? There is some chance that San Diego State falls off a freaking cliff, right? <laughs> yep. They have the whole investigation stuff going on. They don't have that incredible, like, you know, obviously with the whole invest- the allegations, whatever. But, like, at punting, he was an incredibly good punter and bailed that offense out a lot last year. Without that, opposing you know, opponents have better field position, including Arizona. But uh, I don't know if Arizona's defense is any good at all. And I think Will Rogers can probably score a lot of points on them. And maybe Arizona's offense is really good. And that could just be a uh, – that will not even be close to be over by the time we start the show. It's, it's an 11 o'clock Eastern time start. And we, so, we really might be starting at kickoff. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's like DVR before church type, type thing. <laughs> All right. So Bud has as his uh, his early is South Carolina, Arkansas. His midday is Houston, Texas Tech. His primetime is Mississippi State of Arizona. His wild card is Louisville at UCF. Tom's going to get you started with Wake Vandy, then midday going to Iowa State, Iowa, Kentucky, Florida in time t- primetime, and Virginia, Illinois as his wild card. Danny's got UTSA and Army as Saturday at noon, Tennessee Pitt in the midday, USC Stanford in primetime, and Oregon State Fresno State late night as the wild card. I'll get you started with Alabama, Texas, uh, then go to App State, Texas A&M, Baylor and BYU, and then my wild card game in that noon window, Georgia State and North Carolina. All right, let's uh, we, we got a little bit of time, right, Tom? Yeah. All right, let's, let, let's, let's bring it back. Tom Fernelli with another edition of Where He Been. Where have you been? All right, bud. You weren't here last week, so I will quickly explain the rules to you and to our listeners and viewers. And again, viewers, if you are watching us right now on the live stream, do not write answers in the comments. Bud, Chip, I'm trusting both of you not to look at your screens. Bud, do not Instacart five more screens to the house so you can look up the answers while we're playing the game. I'm going to hold my phone over the comment section. I'll just look at Tom, but, but I, I, I can't I can't see the comments. All right. So the name of the game is where he been. And the premise is I will name a coach. Uh, it could be a current coach. It could be a former coach. At Whatever the case, they have coached college football in some capacity at some point. And you then bid on how many schools you can name that that coach has coached at during their career. You then, like Chip, you'll go first. You're a defending champion. You will make the first bid on our first coach, Bud. You will decide, can you beat that and bid higher, or will you make him prove it? If he does get it correct, he gets the point. If he doesn't, Bud gets the point. It's the first of two wins. Jordan, I sent you five names, but that's because I thought Danny would still be here, and I figured we would need more. But we're going to go with the first three names that I sent you. And the first coach, Chip, first of all, as a defending champion, would you like to open the bidding or let Bud go first? Let's let Bud go first. All right, Bud. Just clarify, is the bidding back and forth until somebody basically calls you out on it or just yes. like okay. Or cool. backs yeah. or backs off and says I can't name more than that. Sure. Our first coach has coached at six different schools. Jim Knowles. And to be clear, when I say schools, it can include and it teams. It could be NFL teams, it could be high school teams. But Jim Knowles has coached at six different places. How many of them can you name? Shoot, I knew this. Uh, 
I'll go with two. I can do three. Oh, can you do four, bud? No. All right, Chip. Let's hear the three. Duke, Oklahoma State, Ohio State. Bang, bang, bang. Look at Chip. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah, those are the last three. Uh, In order, Jim Knowles, he actually he played at Cornell and began his coaching career at Cornell in 1988. He was there until 1996. Then he left for Western Michigan, where he was there for over two separate stints or no, in one stint for six seasons, spent a year at Old Miss, was back at Cornell as the head coach from 2004 to 2009, then joined the Duke staff in 2010 as a defensive coordinator, was there through 2017, was at Oklahoma State through 2018 and 2021, and is now currently the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Great job, Chip. You've got a 1-0 lead. So now. Now it's, it's my turn, right? Yes. And your coach, Chip has coached at 11 different places. It's a lengthy list. Dave Aranda. I will start the bidding at three. Bud, can you match that or beat that? I'm sorry. Do, 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 do. No, I, I, I can't. Okay, so now I just named my three. You just got yeah. to name your three. Okay. Uh, Baylor, LSU, Wisconsin. Ding, ding, ding. Look at that. It's yeah. just, Chip is just, all right. Well, Chip. Was he at like Cal Lutheran? Yes. <laughs> Damn it. Yes. Oh, shit. You, see, look at that. Chip. I didn't want to lose points. Chip has won already, but we're going to go through yeah. the third coach. Chip is undefeated and is probably the greatest contestant in where he been history. But to go through the schools that Dave Aranda has coached at, he began his career coaching at the same place he went to high school. Redlands in California, in Kern County, up Northern California. Then he moved to Cal Lutheran, where he was a linebackers coach. Was at Texas Tech as a grad assistant for three years. Moved there to be linebackers coach for two seasons at Houston. Back to Cal Lutheran for two seasons as defensive coordinator. Went to Delta State for a season to be the defensive coordinator. Then went to Southern Utah for a season to be a defensive coordinator. Dave Aranda has paid U-Haul a lot of money in his lifetime. (laughs) Then he left Southern Utah and made the quick trip over the Pacific Ocean to Hawaii, where he spent four seasons before spending a year back in Utah as the defensive coordinator at Utah State, which then he went with Gary Anderson to Wisconsin to become the defensive coordinator there for three years. That led him to become the assistant head coach defensive coordinator at LSU from 2016 to 2019, and that got him the Baylor job, which he has been at since 2020. So, Chip, you have one again, but we are going to do the third coach just because, you know, it's fun. Bud, you will once again lead the bidding here. This coach has coached at 10 different places. And his name is Lou Holtz. How many can you name? I can name five. Oh, Chip, are you going to match that or are you going to make it? Prove it. Yeah, prove, prove it. it. All right. Uh, Arkansas. Bing. Notre Dame. Bing. South Carolina. Bing. Bing. We counting assistant coach stuff here? Yeah, yeah. just anywhere. Uh, South Florida. And I thought he was. Oh, I thought it was okay. Never mind. I thought he was an analyst there. Incorrect. Sorry, bud. Oh no, you lose again, Chip. Mm. You are our champion for the second week in a row of where he'd been. But to go over Lou Holtz's long and storied career, the only one coach. that I would add 
that I would have, because I can do five. I NC State, yeah. NC State. Yeah. I thought he went to South Florida with uh, with with Skip. If he did, it was not in a noticed or yeah, he was recognized at role. He was, did he go he to was, La Tech? Or maybe he was just like coming down. I, I, yeah, not, in, not in a paid, right. recognized role. All right. He started his career as an assistant at Iowa in 1960. <laughs> Scoring safeties. Uh, moved to William & Mary as an assistant for four years. And I love because this is way back when they didn't really have job titles. You're either the head coach or the assistant. Uh, was at UConn for two seasons as an assistant. Then moved on to South Carolina for his first stint there from 66 to 67 as an assistant. Are we Spent- counting the NFL too? Yeah. Spent one year at Ohio State as an assistant in 1968, then got his first head coaching gig at William & Mary. He was there for three seasons. Next head coaching gig was at NC State for four seasons. Left the Wolfpack to spend one year with the New York football Jets. Came back to the college game after that went spectacularly well and coached at Arkansas for seven seasons before moving on to take the Minnesota job in 1984. He was there for two years when that Golden Dome came calling where he made his name. Went to Notre Dame for 11 years before getting fired and then spent the last six years of his coaching career in the SEC at South Carolina before joining ESPN and arguing with Mark May at one in the morning. I like this game. I mean, I just got my butt kicked. Like, I, this is a fun game. It's a fun game. It's Chip a- loves this game. <laughs> yeah, Chip would like to be it. Coming up next, we will have our week two locks edition Thursday, 11 a.m. Make sure you subscribe, hit the bell for notifications so that you get a reminder when we go live. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.